0: Hello everyone and welcome. This is Molly Rowan Leach and I'm your host for the International Webcast and Telecouncil Series, ongoing every Thursday, 5 p.m. Pacific, unless otherwise noted, Restorative Justice on the Rise, brought to you by the Peace Alliance and also by the generous support and donations of participants like yourself. The aim of Restorative Justice on the Rise is to provide an educational platform for dialogue, for conversation, for advocacy efforts, and for connection and resources surrounding the restorative justice movement in the U.S. and beyond. You can find out more about the series at dopeace.us, that's d-o-p-e-a-c-e.us. Click over the Restorative Justice tab, and you'll find a menu there of archives of over 70 dialogues we've had with pioneers, as well as events listings, resources, and upcoming guest speaker information and how to register for those. This whole series is free again, and we welcome your donations and support, and thank you for your active participation on the webcasts and dialogue telecouncils. This archive in particular that you're about to listen to features a very lively and informative, powerful conversation with Colorado State Representative Pete Lee. Pete has championed two bills now in the realm of restorative justice. The most recent one, House Bill 13-1254, also known as the Restorative Justice Pilot Project, recently passed here in Colorado. We had a dialogue and a conversation with Pete about the bill, about some of the roadblocks, some of the challenges, as well as the indicators of this bill and what it will provide the state of Colorado. This also is a possible template for other states that haven't yet done legislative advocacy and action. So we hope you'll enjoy this particular conversation with Representative Pete Lee from Colorado and we'll see you soon on Restorative Justice
1: on the Rise. Good evening, everybody, and such a very warm welcome to all of you as active participants in this ongoing telecouncil and international webcast series, Restorative Justice on the Rise. I'm your host, Molly Rowan-Leach. Every week we convene at Uh, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, that's 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, every Thursday. We hope that you will enjoy this edition tonight with our very special honored guest, whom I'll be introducing in just one moment. This series is made possible by the Peace Alliance, and also made possible by your donations as participants. And we encourage active participation during this live council We like to think of it as uh, somewhat of a virtual town hall where everyone has a voice if they'd like to chime in. Um, Just like tonight with our special guest, we'll be opening up the lines periodically throughout the call tonight and engaging in dialogue. The mission of this programming is to provide a platform for education and dialogue as well as education and awareness building around restorative justice and beyond. And we also, of course, include conversations around the areas of transitional, transformative justice, and unitive justice. And um, just want to make mention, too, that the Peace Alliance has an incredible track with uh, other organizations called the Youth Promise Act. If you haven't already heard about this uh, important legislative act um, that's out there, please visit thepeacealliance.org. That's thepeacealliance.org. And for more information and scheduled guests coming up, as well as an archive of over 70 pioneers in the the restorative justice field, that's free MP3 downloads, uh, very valuable archived conversations that are a litmus of the transitional movement that we're in right now within our justice system. Please go to DoPeace.us for more information on that. You'll find a Restorative Justice tab and a big menu of a lot of different things and really encouraging participation in that as well. We've listed some conferences that are upcoming, including um, our guest speaker will be uh, appearing at a couple of them this summer. So um, please visit DoPeace.us and click on that Restorative Justice menu. more information. So without further ado, um, just to make mention really quick tonight, we are going to be talking with, of course, the Honorable State Representative, Pete Lee, but in order to engage in the dialogue, if you are a new participant with us, um, you just, all you have to do is press 1 on your telephone keypad. In order to go live, that notifies us that you might have a comment or question. And I'll be letting you know when that time comes about here shortly. Um, And like I said, there's an archive of over 70 uh, phenomenal pioneers in the field, and tonight's will be no exception to that. We will archive this session and um, look forward to seeing you in the future, hopefully on this series. Before we introduce our special guest tonight i'd like to welcome to the the circle for a moment uh, the President of the peace Alliance Bob baskin and Bob is just an extraordinary leader and comes from a, a really deep field of legislative and uh, work work in the area of getting things in motion that are important and all things peace building related so Bob welcome
2: thank you very much molly and and Really thank you, uh, all, of, all of you who have uh, demonstrated your commitment to peace building by, by participating in calls like, like this. But this is, this is a wonderful evening tonight because uh, of, of a great example that we all need to understand and take advantage of and, and leverage. And that is, you know, there are lots and lots of forces and interest groups and money that are being put forth to uh, further uh, the calls for punitive, militaristic, incarcerating actions that far too many of our leaders and and our citizens even uh, think is the way to go uh, when when there is conflict and, and in some instances, violence. But there is another way, and it's been shown to be proven and cost-effective and that is the the whole area uh, of restorative justice. While there are other alternatives to conflict, restorative justice is is a growing, evolving, emerging uh, 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 capability that is being used and and it's just wonderful that Colorado is leading the way and Representative uh, uh, Lee in particular who was really the, the, the uh, spearheading, uh, spearheader of this particular effort. Because there are so many other resources being put into uh, the, the harsher approaches to criminal justice in particular, it's really critical that each of us take a stand and make our voices heard and importantly, work together. We are in the minority. We don't have the resources or the numbers that the other side has. But when we work together, as we did in this Colorado effort to pass this important uh, restorative justice legislation led by Pete, that's when we can be victorious as we certainly were in this case. The Peace Alliance was tried to play an important role in, in helping to spread the word and to educate folks uh, on, on the value and the, the rationale for passing this legislation. but we can't do it alone, and we didn't do it alone. Obviously, the most credit, I believe, certainly belongs with, with uh, Representative Lee, who did an unbelievable job uh, of, of every day just keeping his eye on the, on the prize and work toward it and work toward it and work toward it. And Molly Leach, Molly Rowan Leach, who you know all so well for her work on restorative justice, clearly brought all of us together, the Peace Alliance, the Longmont uh, Community Justice Partnership, Restorative Justice Council. And she identified even this unbelievably brave law enforcement officer, uh, Greg uh, Ruprecht, who's uh, testimony and belief in what we were trying to accomplish with restorative justice came together and withstood all of the pressures that were working against us to make this a victory. I can't say enough about how proud the Peace Alliance is to be working with allies like this. So I wish you all well. I, I, I know this restorative justice on the rise uh, series is such an important, critical part of of the public's understanding, and I congratulate each of you for being interested and committed and passionate enough to uh, be part of this particular effort, and I thank you all.
1: Thank you so much, Bob. I really appreciate you as well as do all of us, and I just want to thank all of you again who are participants here. Um, We have such a wide constituency of participants across a lot of different areas in the field. People from the DOC, people from law enforcement, um, people from academics, grassroots organizers. We're talking about people from the United States, Canada, sometimes from Mexico, Australia, Europe, uh, especially given that this is now a webcast. So we hope that you find this a useful space for whatever you are up to in the field. And like Bob said, thank you for your commitment to restorative justice. So without further ado, um, most of you probably are aware of Colorado State Representative Pete Lee from House District 18, but if you're not, uh, I'm sure you'll be aware of him quite soon. His work has been over decades of commitment to restorative justice. He has been the co-sponsor and And true knight and champion Of the restorative justice bills um, The second one House bill 13-1254 The restorative justice pilot project Which just passed last week He was an instrument And a a devoted um, proponent for the bill Um, He's a mover and shaker He's uh, an incredibly eloquent speaker And he's very good at working with all the different ranges of what arose during this process, not just this this most recent one, but the one that that occurred a couple years ago. Now, I just want to say, I'm going to let Pete talk about the bill itself and what it's all about, and then we're going to talk about what next and what it implies, because we really want to convey uh, a sense of how you might replicate this wherever you are. Tonight. And then um, we're going to leave five minutes at the end for an open mic kind of community dialogue session, but that doesn't mean that you won't have time to ask representative lead, uh, questions um, throughout tonight as well. I just want to say a few more words about him. Uh, he is um, also a part of the Uh, Pikes Peak Peace and Justice Association and advises the State Council here in Colorado. He's going to be speaking at the uh, National Conference on Restorative Justice in Toledo, Ohio, and possibly some other appearances, we hope, this summer. He just uh, was a presenter at the RJ Symposium in Colorado Springs, Colorado, which was a, a powerful event in and of itself that also featured Um, one of the great pioneers of the modern restorative justice movement, Howard Zare. So without further ado, Pete, thank you for allowing this long introduction, and um, just such a warm welcome to you, and it's a great honor to have you with us.
3: Well, thank you very much, Molly. It's uh, my honor and privilege to be here with you. Um, And I want to thank you for uh, putting on these these, uh, webcasts to educate people and make them aware of uh, restorative justice and the alternative ways that we have to address conflict and settle
4: disputes.
3: Uh, I think Bob uh, Baskin hit the nail on the head when he was describing what we need to do uh, in terms of transforming our societal systems from punitive, uh, retributory, systems to ones that promote reconciliation, and uh, that's really what we're trying to do here in Colorado with the uh, legislation that we just sponsored, so I'm delighted to uh, talk with you tonight about the uh, legislation or any other aspects of the efforts that we've been making out here, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have.
1: Great. That's great. I know that one of the things that seemed to be from... uh, the council's uh, pre-submitted questions tonight. There were a lot of great questions. Thank you so much, everyone, for for those. And one of the key themes tonight is how how do we do this in our other state, in, in our other states. So, um, but before we do that, Pete, let's let's just go back for a moment. And for those who may not be familiar, um, there was a bill two years ago that passed. And just give us a brief historical overview and give us a few details about the bill itself and why it's so significant, the one that just passed, which is, again, House Bill 13-1254, the Restorative Justice Pilot Project.
3: Uh, Sure. I'd be happy to do that, uh, Molly. Uh, House Bill 13-1254 was a follow-up to the bill two years ago to uh, try to expand restorative justice in Colorado and to uh, address some of the issues that the Restorative Justice Council of the state had uh, identified in the uh, last couple of years as we've been implementing uh, House Bill 1054, the first bill. Um, So what we did with um, with, uh, 1254 was try initially the idea was to establish what we call the New Zealand model throughout the state of Colorado and the New Zealand model is a uh, restorative justice process in which juvenile offenders default first into a restorative justice program and only if they don't succeed in the restorative justice program do they move over to the traditional court system where they are prosecuted or adjudicated. Um, And I really wanted to have the uh, Colorado Children's Code default to a uh, model similar to New Zealand, but I couldn't quite get the uh, powers that be to go along with it. So what we ended up doing was set up four pilot programs in four of the 22 judicial districts around the state of Colorado. Uh, So we're going to have two brand new programs in uh, Pueblo and Weld and Larimer County in Colorado, and we're gonna do pilots in Alamosa and uh, Boulder, Colorado, which have existing programs, but we wanna move this New Zealand model into those uh, uh, jurisdictions as well. And the way that will work is basically, uh, prior to filing the charges, the district attorney would identify juvenile first offenders who committed uh, non-traffic misdemeanors or class three, four, five, and six felonies and screen them for participation. And if the juvenile uh, is determined eligible and participates and completes the program, then no charges will be filed. Um, to me, that is a, uh, a, a the best approach to juvenile justice. People that are professionals in the field will tell you that the best thing you can do for a juvenile is try to keep them out of the juvenile justice system, because once they get in it, they tend to stay in it. Um, So in addition to the pilot programs, the bill also provides for uh, collecting data so that we can uh, obtain empirical information about the capability of restorative justice to reduce costs and to lower recidivism and improve victim and offender satisfaction. You know, everyone wants empirical data to underpin and support and justify programs. So this bill provides uh, uh, that piece as well. Um, In addition, we uh, wanted to expand the number of opportunities for restorative justice to be initiated. Under Colorado's existing uh, legislation, it had to be victim-initiated and we know that there are a lot of offenders out there who would like to initiate restorative justice. There are certainly law enforcement people like Officer Ruprecht who initiate restorative justice, and uh, district attorneys want to initiate restorative justice. So we expanded the uh, number of parties who are eligible and capable of initiating the restorative justice process. Um, Then in addition, We added some folks to the State uh, Restorative Justice Coordinating Council, and importantly, we added a surcharge on criminal offenses in Colorado in a effort to have money to fund these programs. The uh, district attorneys are gonna take on additional responsibilities, and we're gonna ask them to uh, keep records and keep data, and uh, we're gonna have to provide money to do that. So the bill provides for a $10 surcharge on uh, offenses committed in the state so that we'll have uh, money available. And that's that's pretty much what uh, House Bill 1254 is uh, intended to do.
1: And, and, Pete, can you just speak to the specifics of that surcharge? That, that means um, every single offense other than a traffic violation. Is that true? Exactly.
3: Adult offenses or juvenile uh, offenses where there's a conviction or an adjudication uh, will be assessed a $10 fee.
1: And that that could add up real fast.
3: Well, it could. Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I wish I could tell you it was otherwise. Right, but, uh, me too. There are, there are thousands of uh, criminal cases that are filed uh, every year. I think in uh, El Paso County, I think we've got 5,000 felony filings just here. So there's a lot that are occurring around the state so uh, they'll we'll raise some money uh to uh fund these programs and that's really important. Right.
2: So
1: w- one of the things that uh, was pre-submitted um for tonight was uh I think a really important lead-off question and it was from Gerilyn. Thank you Gerilyn. It was about um w- about the opposition because uh, you know obviously the the point of um if there was any opposition to the bill helps us to learn ways in which we can work to um, find solutions together and not try and be uh, dualistic or, or polarized any further around this. You know, these are sensitive topics. Um, so could you speak to what possibly the opposition might have been and how you handled it? What, you know, what were points that you want to convey that people might want to be aware of that might happen for them in their
3: process? Sure. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. Now, I'll talk about it in conjunction with the prior bill, uh, 1054, uh, three years ago in 2011. And um, that bill ultimately passed uh, the House and the Senate in Colorado with unanimous support from Republicans and Democrats. Um, and that really took a lot of work to get that broad based bipartisan support Because I think when I came to the Capitol, there weren't very many people who were familiar with restorative justice or maybe had just kind of a a passing familiarity but didn't really have an understanding. So I uh, initiated conversations with as many of the legislators as I could, you know, had spent time with them individually in their offices to talk about restorative justice and talk to them in terms which... Um, appeal to them. We have, uh, you know, liberals in Colorado who like the idea of second chances and uh, the opportunities that restorative justice pr- provides. Uh, we have uh, more conservative folks whose belief is that uh, the most important value is personal and individual accountability, and um, to a certain extent, having uh, procedures outside of the governmental processes to help people resolve disputes. So if I was talking to people of a more uh, libertarian philosophy, I would emphasize the fact that restorative justice is conducted by uh, outside of the court process by private facilitators who help the individuals to identify solutions to their own problems. And uh, that appeals to uh, people who you know, feel that the, uh, there's too much government intrusion into people's lives. So a lot of the work that I did was to uh, try to find ways to match the virtues of restorative justice to the values of the legislators that I was talking to. Uh, that being said, um, I'm also a Democrat in a what is considered the most competitive House seat in Colorado, Um, and election returns and spending will validate that. Um, uh, So this district is a very competitive district, and as a result, uh, politics inevitably enter into the processes. I know that shocks you at the Capitol. Um, So this year, it was more of a challenge for me. Um, I won my seat pretty handily In the uh, November election and the uh, opposition were uh, uh, reluctant to give me victories in uh, on policy matters at the Capitol so I pretty much run into party-line votes this time around but that's more of a political thing than a philosophical thing and that's why I wanted to describe the uh, success that we had in 2011 with appealing across the aisle. Unfortunately, it's become somewhat politicized. Um, Additional opposition um, was not, you know, there's very few people who are opposed to restorative justice conceptually and philosophically. Um, People who have a uh, sort of a theological orientation, look at the uh, biblical roots of of covenant and community and uh, reconciliation as, uh, as in the biblical traditions. So restorative justice proceeds from those roots and appeals to people who have those uh, philosophical beliefs. But it also appeals to, uh, to uh, people who want to see more acceptance of individual responsibility. So when it comes to the details of proposing specific ways of implementing the plan, that's where you run into uh, opposition. The, the devil's in the details. Um, I think there was some concern by some of the opponents that um, victim, or excuse me, offender initiation throughout Colorado would uh, could potentially re-traumatize some victims who didn't want to participate or didn't want to have contact with their offenders. And uh, we all know who work in restorative justice that the process is always voluntary and always volitional, and no one is ever compelled to uh, participate in restorative justice. But the con- that concern persisted, that uh... victims would be uh... re-victimized in some way so we worked out a plan whereby um, offenders would not contact victims directly which is a pretty rare thing but people needed to see this in the bill but that any offender who wanted to initiate restorative justice would do so through the uh... district attorney's office colorado has a very robust and extensive victim rights act. So the district attorneys deal uh, very consistently uh, with victims. And so having victims contacted by the DA to talk about restorative justice would not be a stretch. It's something that the DAs do in the course of discussing plea negotiations and victim impact and things like that. But we gave greater comfort to the uh, victims' community by putting it right in the bill that offenders are prohibited from contacting victims; that all contact should be through the uh, uh, the district attorney in the local districts. Um, in addition, we, as you may know, in our uh, 1054 bill two years ago, had a uh, victim-offender dialogue in the prison, which is initiated by victims and we wanted to clarify that in the new bill uh, we were not extending the um, initiation of victim-offender dialogues in the prison to offenders, to inmates, as it were, that uh, that would be the exception, that offenders who have committed offenses uh, and have not been adjudicated can initiate the process through the DAs, but offenders who have been incarcerated um, are not permitted to initiate the process. So we dealt with some of the concerns of the opposition, and uh, they were more uh, concerns in the administration of the process than in uh, conceptual or philosophical opposition. Mm. I just
1: want to take a moment here to welcome you if you're just arriving. uh, We're talking with the Honorable State Representative. Pete Lee tonight on Restorative Justice on the Rise. And um, Representative Lee, if you're on a speakerphone, I'd appreciate it if you would um, turn that off because it sounds like you're going in and out just a little bit, and I want to make sure everybody hears you really well.
3: Sure. Is Um, that better?
1: Much better. Thank you. Okay. Great. Um, All right. So one of the things that I think we better back up for a moment on is um, you're so eloquent. And for those, you know, since we have such a wide constituency of people that come into these councils and participate, can you just give us our, uh, give us your elevator um, explanation of restorative justice? What do people need to know about what it really is and what are some of the common misconceptions?
3: Um, I would say the the, uh, easiest way to explain restorative justice is that it emphasizes repairing the harm to victims and, and communities arising from offenses, the traditional punitive justice system is more a just deserts, an eye for an eye. Um, who committed the offense? What is the penalty the, uh, for the offense? And then imposing the penalty. Uh, that's the punitive, what I call retributive system. The restorative justice system asks the questions: What harm was done? And how do we repair that harm? What are the needs of the victims? And how do we address the needs of the victim? So it's a different approach. And the goal of restorative justice is victim healing um, and reconciliation if possible. Um, The goal on the offender side is really to develop an understanding and appreciation of the harm that they did and most restorative justice processes work through the uh, victim offender conference where we actually have offenders meet face to face with victims and have with a trained facilitator and community members present and have the uh, victim describe for the offender very specifically the impact that the offense had on the victim. So imagine, if you would, uh, six or eight people sitting in a small room in a circle all facing each other, uh, including the victim and their supporters, the offender and their supporters, the community members, and a uh, facilitator, and the victim maybe of a uh, burglary by a juvenile, could explain the impact that that burglary had on her children who may not now be comfortable sleeping in their bedrooms because it's been violated or they're scared that uh, someone's been in their house. Uh, These are things that most offenders, and particularly juvenile offenders, have no consciousness of. Most juvenile offenses are what we call opportunistic. They're not planned out strategically Uh, uh, established offenses, they just do things on the spur of the moment, maybe due to peer pressure or alcohol or drugs with no thought of their victim whatsoever. So when the victim explains the impact, oftentimes I'd say the majority of times, the offender can develop some form of empathy from walking in the shoes of the victim. And that to me is the transitional power of restorative justice? That's when the offender kind of gets it that they've hurt a living, breathing uh, human being, and most of us don't want to do that. You know, we, if we think about it, we don't want to hurt people we know. So that's how restorative justice works. Uh, after the offender um, has comprehended the impact of what they did, then the restorative portion of the conference takes place in which the offender and the victim and the community members talk about what it's going to take to repair the harm, to satisfy the needs of the victim. Typically, one of the first things that the uh, the victim wants is an apology. Oftentimes, that arises spontaneously after the victim has described the pain that they have gone through. The, I've seen offenders get up and walk across the circle and stick out their hand and say to the uh, victim, I'm sorry for what I did. Um, sometimes victims need to uh, get financial reparations. Sometimes uh, victims need to understand why they were the victim to get the questions answered. Why me? So there's a high level of satisfaction that occurs in these conferences when the uh, restoration part takes place. The victim gets typically apologies, maybe financial um, compensation. Maybe the offender does some community service to uh, pay back the harm, the breach of the relationship to the community. So that's, in a nutshell, how the process works.
1: Mm. Thank you for that. And maybe if we have time, we can go back to um, some of the common misconceptions. But uh, I really think a valuable part of what we want to go into right now would be the aspect of um, how those of us in, in the council tonight, I know there's a lot of people interested in, how do we replicate this? And given that you've been such a key aspect of this Uh, movement here in Colorado. What do you say to people who, like, for example, we had someone submit a question, Lynette, from San Francisco. We had uh, two other people actually um, asking about similar questions from other places in the United States. So there's obviously a real desire here to learn how to implement what, what has just been implemented here in Colorado.
3: Uh, sure
1: would where would we start you know, if we were...
3: uh, I guess the place that most people start most things these days is uh, is on the computer with a, a google search for restorative justice and I would look for restorative justice uh, programs going on in your individual community it's um, uh, Howard Zare who you mentioned previously the pioneer of uh, restorative justice uh, had published a bibliography a while ago of over 150 pages of sources of information about restorative justice. So there's a lot of it going on in communities that people are not aware of. Uh, so hook up with those programs. I'd say get knowledgeable about restorative justice. The uh, seminal uh, publication on uh, restorative justice published by uh, by uh, uh, Dr. Zare In 1991, is called changing lenses. Uh, He's also a photographer, so he uses that metaphor of looking at justice through a restorative lens versus a uh, retributory lens. So, get knowledgeable about restorative justice and how it works, and then insist that it be used if you are involved in the uh, criminal justice system or in a uh, school disciplinary system, ask the principal to, uh, to engage in a restorative process as opposed to a punitive process. Ask the district attorney, the prosecutor, if you're a victim of a crime, to uh, allow the process to be restorative. Have, if victims are prepared to do this, have them ask the district attorney if there's an opportunity for a restorative conference with the offender. Every restorative justice conference between victims and offenders is always preceded by a pre-conference screening of the offender to ensure that the offender is suitable and appropriate. And most screenings attempt to determine whether or not the offender is accountable for what they did, feels a sense of responsibility, feels some remorse, and has a desire to repair the harm. And once an offender has met that sort of three-part threshold test, then it would be suitable for a victim to meet with them. So for restorative justice to work, people have to insist that it works. It's hard to get institutions like district attorney's offices and uh, prosecutors and uh, judges to initiate something different. We are all creatures of our habits and our are uh, consistent ways of doing things and what we're doing with restorative justice is something different than what's been done in the past so it's not going to happen unless people initiate it inevitably what i have found in my experience the most successful restorative justice programs in communities are run by champions of restorative justice if you have a principal or a counselor or a teacher in a school who is a zealous advocate for restorative justice, they can get those programs going in the schools. If you have a district attorney who becomes an advocate for restorative justice, such as Stan Garnett up in the Boulder Judicial District in Colorado, um, they can set up restorative justice programs in their districts. So find out what's going on in your communities and dial into those programs and uh, become knowledgeable about how the process works, and uh, of course, volunteer to help out.
1: hmm Well, you're you're quite a master. Also, you mentioned earlier about um, you know kind of meeting people where they're at, no matter <clears throat> what side of the political fence they're on. And um, do you have any? You know, that can be daunting for people. Because uh, I know a lot of a lot of people don't want to appear like they're trying to tell established systems what yep. to do, and so yep. how do we insist on restorative justice but still work together because that's really a big deal isn't it
3: well, it really is molly uh it's It's critically important to uh lay partisanship aside at the implementation level. Um, we were very fortunate in Colorado to have a uh, a district attorneys council that represents all the district attorneys uh, the leader of that group is a fellow that i work with very closely a gentleman by the name of tom rains and he uh... is supportive of my efforts to promote restorative justice in colorado and he went to the district attorneys in his council and he's a former d a himself and said uh... this is what we're proposing Uh, which of you would like to have a uh, pilot restorative justice program in your district. And one of the gentlemen that stepped up is uh, the district attorney up in Weld and Larimer County, Ken Buck, who had been the uh, Republican state uh, um, U.S. Senate candidate who had run against the Democrat Michael Bennett in Colorado and is considered by many to be a fairly conservative law and order uh, district attorney and he stepped up because he sees the merits of restorative justice particularly with juveniles it's it's pretty easy to uh, talk with people about uh, juveniles because most everyone can acknowledge that um, kids deserve a second chance and a lot of what we're doing is not working very well So one of the ways that I sell restorative justice is to talk about some of the failures of the existing criminal justice system. Now, one has to be a little bit careful because you don't want to tell someone that their program is a failure and you have a better one, but you can point out some of the deficiencies and find out what some of their needs are. And uh, restorative justice has so many uh saleable virtues, that it's a pretty, pretty uh, easy sell if you can get someone to, to listen carefully to, uh, to uh, how it works. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of people asking about copies of the bills. That's another thing that we need to make sure we cover tonight. Um, where online can people find, uh, bo- are, are both bills available online? And certainly, I also would be happy to post them on the Do Peace uh, website, where this archive will be hosted um, and will be permanently as uh, what, you know a part of the the library there. So, peop- well, where where can people find copies of the bills?
3: Okay, um, the uh, Colorado General Assembly website has um, the the bills are are. Um, available on the Colorado General Assembly website. and it, It's reasonably easy to navigate. If you just get on the Colorado General Assembly uh, website, and then House, uh, on the left-hand side there's a drop-down menu for House, and under uh, uh, the drop-down menu under the House, it'll have a tab for Bills. You click that, and then it'll open up to Bills 1,001 to 1,050, and there's a little box and you type in uh, 1254, hit enter, and it will bring up all the bills from, I don't know, 1226 to 1275, and you just click House Bill
1: 1254. Mm-hmm. And you by know, the I, same – te- Excuse me, just a moment. I, I just wanted to say, too, I Googled, <laughs> as you were saying earlier, I Googled uh, HB13-1254 and actually got quite directly to – a. Um, not only the copy of the bill, but also the commentary of the stages that it took.
4: So oh, that, that okay. might be okay.
1: for people to, to do it, too.
3: Okay. And, and yeah, can sometimes. You the,
1: the number of the bill from two years ago again, please, just for... Uh,
3: 1054, House Bill okay. 11, 1054. 11 is the year, and then a dash, and then 105.4. Right.
1: 1054,
3: is that right? Yeah, I think so. Right. Um,
1: Somehow those numbers don't
3: stay in my brain.
1: (laughs) That's okay. I think we got it. So that's House Bill 11-1054 from two years ago, and then House Bill 13-1254 for anybody who's interested in accessing those online. Um, Now, Pete, we have about ten minutes left with you, and then we're going to break into more of an open session. But I'd like to open up the lines now for people to ask questions directly to you or make comments and converse with you. So if you have something you'd like to add tonight, uh, right now, um, for the next 10 minutes, let's open it up. Press 1 on your keypad. If you're on Skype, do the same. Use, use your keypad on Skype. Press 1 if you have something you'd like to add to the conversation. And while we're doing that, Pete, um, I'd also like to cover... Uh, what is your sense of the national, um, kind of give us a litmus of what the national situation is as far as other states that have passed bills as significant as, as Colorado has?
3: Uh, good question, Molly, and I'm going to have to take a bit of a pass on that one as I, um, I've i been so deeply immersed in the right. legislature for the past 120 days. I haven't been able to, you know, look beyond the confines of the colorado legislature to see what's going on uh, we have a 120 day intensive legislative session and uh, i just sort of keep focused on the work we're doing uh... during that period of time and now that we've got a break i can sort of take a deep breath and back up and see what's going on in the in the rest of the world
2: right. um,
3: but i think that you know there are things going on uh, in other parts of the of the country and you know again uh, the, uh, the interest in restorative justice, I think, is uh, burgeoning as people have become more conscious of the staggering costs of the, uh, of the incarceration system and the, the uh, high recidivism rates in the uh, prisons. Uh, Colorado is, is one of the better states on recidivism, and 52% of inmates who leave the Colorado prisons go back to the Colorado prisons within three years. Restorative justice, and again, we're dealing with different types of offenders in restorative justice, but the, the recidivism rate that we've experienced with, with juvenile offenders, and again, they're pre-screened and they're remorseful and they're not you know hardcore inmates, but is under 10%. But if we can stop the, the uh, pipeline of juveniles into the criminal justice system or the juvenile justice system, and thereby um, curtail the growth of juvenile criminals into uh, adult offenders, we can stop this flow into the prisons and save money. And I think the just overwhelming costs of prisons, $35,000 a year to keep a person in prison, is breaking state budgets. So people are casting around for alternatives, and restorative justice is uh, right there available.
1: Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier a really important uh, point about gathering data. And at the symposium that you and I and so many others were at just last week, there was a breakout session regarding the cultivation of data and the templates for for that cultivation. And one of the really hot topics that came out of that hour-and-a-half session was how do we create a template that will show the cost savings analysis, you know, projected cost savings, um, that, you know, you're speaking to a very expensive uh, bill of uh, as far as it concerns incarcerating people for a year, just one person. And um, that's one of the hot topics that came out of that session that seemed very valuable, and it got people discussing. You know, um, the the st- statisticians in the room were really <laughs> on it with that. <laughs>
3: well, it's an important consideration, and you know, it's 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 not as concrete as we would like it to be, because and it's a it's a bit illusory because how much money do you save by diverting one juvenile into a uh, restorative justice conference for which that juvenile may pay a fee of $125 um, and then be done with it versus that juvenile making five or six or seven court appearances in front with prosecutors and defense lawyers and judges and magistrates and bailiffs and clerks and record keepers. Um, you know, I don't know what the hourly cost for an hour of court time is, but it's got to be allocated across, you know, each offender a couple hundred bucks. So if we can, you know, cut down the number of of people going into that court system, it's an opportunity cost. It's an opportunity savings Mm -hmm. that um, it's, it's hard to put a number on, but I'll bet there are smart people out there who can figure out how to do that.
1: Well, great. I'd like to open up uh, the lines here for a live comment or question to our council. Uh, Jim, welcome. You're live.
2: Thanks, um, Pete. Uh, shout out, man. It, it, good work. It, I, I, I've I've written some legislation, and it's really hard work and it takes a long time. But you're, you're plowing good ground. Um, my question is: Are you are, are you working on any uh, any legislation to? try to divert kids even earlier at the school level to, to keep them out of the juvenile justice system by doing restorative practices in the schools?
3: Yes, indeed, Jim. Thanks for that question. Actually, uh, House Bill eleven ten fifty four a couple of years ago had a uh, provision in it for schools. Um, in Colorado, we have local control of school boards, or local control of schools by local school boards. So we at the legislature cannot dictate to school boards how they conduct their um, disciplinary practices but what we put in that bill was a legislative declaration where we recognized um, that uh, suspensions in school and out of school suspensions and expulsions reduce learning time and categorically lead to kids dropping out and that the goal should be to keep kids in school and restorative practices in schools do just that. Um, So we recommended, I think the words we used in the bill were uh, support and encourage school boards to adopt restorative practices in the schools to deal with uh, student misconduct of any nature uh, from stealing and fighting to destruction of property to truancy uh, to... You know, and train people in the schools to implement restorative practices. And as a side note, there is a book called *The Little Book of Restorative Justice in Schools*, which is a guidebook on how to implement uh, restorative practices in schools. There's a lot of that going on, and it's it's having terrific results. Even some ancillary results of uh, getting more parents involved in the schools because the parents come to those conferences and then they get more dialed into the Mm -hmm. schools Um, so anyone who's involved in in schools knows that kids who drop out of schools are in that pipeline to the prisons and they're into a pipeline of lower earnings and drugs and and uh... lower uh... higher levels of of uh... you know dysfunction in society so to keep kids in school is a goal, and restorative justice is a terrific tool to help kids in school.
1: Thank you, Jim, for that question. And I know we only have a few more minutes with you, Pete, so I, I want to make sure we get another question here before you have to leave. And do respect to your busy schedule tonight.
3: <laughs> well, thanks, Molly. Um,
1: yeah, thank you. Um, so, Mike, welcome. You're live.
3: Thank you. A
2: question a few weeks ago we were
3: discussing these Where uh, states are turning their prisons over to private industry and guaranteeing to keep like 90% of the bids full, how do we uh, break that cycle? I mean, there must be some legal way of getting out of that. No matter how much we show the cost benefit of restorative justice, if they're locked into a contract, uh, it just seems like it's, uh, you know. Two-headed monster. There, does anybody have any suggestions or thoughts on that? That's that's a really good question, and and uh, I've I've never been a a uh, big advocate of uh, of private prisons. I think uh, that you know the the place to stop that is at the legislative level. Uh, those contracts uh, have to be authorized at a certain level by the legislature through the Department of Corrections of the individual state. What states often do with private correctional facilities is use them as a kind of a buffer. Uh, you know, they're, Instead of building a new prison, uh, they try to maximize the utilization of their own prison and then contract with a private prison, which they can save the cost of building a brand-new prison by contracting with a, a private prison. Um, and uh, those contracts kind of help manage uh, inmates because it's you know not as complicated. It's not as simple as saying we've got a thousand uh, inmates. We need to have a thousand beds because you need to have you know a couple of hundred probably administrative segregation beds. You need a couple of uh, uh, work release beds, and you need a lot of level one, two, three, and four beds. So the types of beds uh, sometimes that can be helped by a private facility. But uh, you sure don't want to see your states get into long-term contracts to uh, fill those private prisons at 90%, because then, uh, boy, there's a certain incentive to to keep people in prison, and that's contrary to my instincts. Hmm. I think you want to incentivize those private organizations to rehabilitate and transition people out of the prisons into uh, uh, back into the communities. Well, Great question.
1: Was, yeah, it sure was. Thank you so much, Mike. And um, our time looks like it's at a close with you, Pete. But for those of you that would like to stick around tonight for a few more minutes till till the half hour, I'd really like to have an open session for anybody that like would like to make more comments and. Representative Lee, it's been, as always, an honor and a pleasure, and just thank you so much for all the work that you've done here in Colorado and beyond. And for those of you who want to catch um, Representative Lee online, his website is PeteLeeColorado.com, and also those bills, again, are House Bill 13-1254, the Restorative Justice Pilot Project, and then two years ago, 11-1054. Now, Pete, you have a great night wherever you're up to in your next uh, next service in restorative justice, um, and we look forward to hearing a lot more from you in the uh, years to come here in this field and beyond.
3: Well, thanks very much, Molly, and thanks to all your listeners for having an interest in restorative justice, and don't hesitate to contact me. I'm always available to help out and to uh, help communities do more with restorative justice. Uh, so don't yeah, hesitate tell to contact how me. how you'd like
1: to be contacted, because uh, that's a great point, Pete. You are very accessible, and that's such a great aspect of you. Um, uh,
3: the website's fine, PeteLeeColorado.com. Great. There's, you can get me on an email through that website.
1: Wonderful. You okay. have a good night, and thank you again.
3: My pleasure. night now
1: okay so let's let's go ahead and move on into if anybody would like to make a comment or um a reflection, perhaps even a question, go ahead and press one on your keypad and I'll open up the lines for these last few minutes of our council tonight okay, Dan, welcome and actually, just a just a, an introduction, Dan Kahn is with us tonight from the Peace Alliance. He is the National Field Director and just a wonderful human being. Welcome, Dan.
4: Thanks, Molly. appreciate that. Um, right back at you.
2: Um, you. So uh, a comment I wanted
4: to make um, for, for me, and I'm pretty confident I can say for the Peace Alliance, it's been a great opportunity to cooperate around helping to promote um, this bill. And I, I want to just put this out there to, to anybody who's listening from from other states who's passionate about the possibility of, of promoting restorative justice where you are, um, just that I, I welcome on the conversation. Um, we we have um, state coordinators in various around the country, and we also have congressional district leaders. That's one of the ways we organize across the country. To, to promote uh, bills on a federal level, um, this this bill in Colorado was our first state initiative, was our first state legislative campaign. But I think it's fair to say that we're we're excited to continue promoting restorative justice state by state to the extent that 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 is efficient and effective. So um, anyone is welcome to contact me in the future. You can reach me via email at dan at thepeacealliance.org. And I also would encourage you to go on the Peace Alliance website, peacealliance.org, and sign up to be on our mailing list, and there's a a page on our um, website where you can see who is active in your state and even in your congressional district. Um, There may be somebody locally that you might want to cooperate with if you want to work on some of these efforts to make restorative justice more available. So that's just what I wanted to offer.
1: Well, thank you so much, Dan. And also, just to mention that that you'll pre- be presenting at the Toledo, Ohio, conference uh, next month, and that's that's a really neat thing. And and what what you're sharing seems to be a, a very relevant aspect of what is is really hot right now in the field. Is um, people are are really beginning to mobilize. Uh, you were at a, a Washington D.C. meeting, for example, last night of practitioners um, and people really doing a lot of great work in that area. And so there seems to to be a a real relevant movement to find each other right now. Now in Colorado, um, there is a great resource. If you are in Colorado, um, there's a a website, Restorative Justice Colorado, that lists um, county by county practitioners, um, organizations, um, it includes law enforcement and DOC programs, I believe. It, it's, a, it's kind of an all-encompassing resource area there, and that seems to be something that is wanting to, to be um, born in each state if it hasn't been already, as well as on a national level. So, um, thank you for all that you are up to, Dan, and um, just want to give the opportunity for anyone else tonight before we close. Um, any closing reflections, comments, anything that others might like to make tonight, um, remembering to press one on your keypad if you'd like to, to do that. And um, also, just to mention, I welcome feedback. I'm also interested in um, hearing from you, even if you don't want to be live with you know the dialogue. To hear from you is very valuable. Um, my email is Molly. At thepeacealliance.org, that's M O L L Y, at thepeacealliance.org. And I really welcome your feedback, your questions, your comments, um, perhaps even guest speaker suggestions. So, so please feel free to communicate with me in that way. And I'm um, just going to open up the line for, for one, mo- one more comment tonight before we have closing words. Um, Geraldine, welcome. Hi, Molly.
4: How are you? Thank you for doing this. Um, I w- just wanted
1: to comment because uh, I've already started in the state of California uh, talking with legislators uh, about carrying the bill for the next session. So, anyone that lives in the state of California, I'd appreciate it if you'd contact me so we can coordinate efforts
4: rather than uh, doing
1: Hopscotching
4: around, or whatever you want to call that, uh, it would help to have a coordinated effort here. So, again, anyone that lives in the state of California, you can contact me at gerylyn, the number four piece at yahoo.com.
1: That's gerylyn, J E R I L Y N, and then the number four, and then P E A C E at yahoo.com. Correct. Great. Well, thank you so much everyone for your participation tonight and in this ongoing free international webcast and telecouncil series, this is Restorative Justice on the Rise. We encourage your participation and also welcome your donations. Also please check out the Faces of Peace, which is a wonderful resource to showcase uh, the work that you're doing, any stories that you feel you'd like to share to uh, a very wide national and global network um, in the world. That's uh, thepeacealliance.org backslash faces of peace. And also uh, a big thanks again tonight to Bob Baskin, to Dan Kahn, to Representative Pete Lee, and uh, we hope to see you next week as we get to uh, have a great conversation with Dr. Mark Umbright. So for more information about the series, again, go to DoPeace.us and scroll to the menu, Restorative Justice. Good night, everyone. On behalf, again, of the Peace Alliance, this is your host, Molly Rowan Leach. Be well.